Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate as commercial surf parks open up all around the world. I'm your host, Brian Dickerson, editor at Wave Pool Mag. And together we'll explore this amazing new landscape by talking to the dreamers, developers, engineers, and everyone making this space happen. These are the personalities who are defining the breadth and scope of artificial wave making today. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. Today is very special. We're here in Australia, traveling around, checking out the wave pools down under. And today we're speaking with Kit Sidwell, originally from New Zealand, 12 years on the Gold Coast here. But most of us know him for his work with the giant Mad Max plunger, the steampunk wave pool, Surf Lakes. So today we're going to talk to Kit about all things Surf Lakes and plungerdom. Kit, thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to start off partly because I don't really know this, but what exactly do you do at, at Surf Lakes? So my role is um, well, split across a few different things at the moment. Primarily I'm the lead mechanical engineer, but uh, before that my role was purely R&D. So I'm um, the R&D manager also. And it's kind of my, my role at the moment is, you know, taking our design and making sure that the overall presentation of it and final product sort of meets the original vision because I was involved in, in the original vision. Now I'm only a small piece in a, in a big engineering team, but I sort of still have a bit of responsibility to, to make sure that, you know, at least from a mechanical and functional point of view, that it sort of stays true to what we designed and where it's going to go. We have uh, a whole deal of, a whole, whole great deal of engineers who, who, you know, have their own specialist area and, and provide all that. But I sort of feel like I, you know, my role as the lead mechanical engineer is to make sure that it progresses towards what we set out to do. Okay. That's a, <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's take a step back and go to your history, how you became involved with Surf Lakes and also your mechanical engineering background. My start with, with Surf Lakes, uh, you know, fairly fortuitous. There's obviously got to be a bit of luck and something like that. I didn't see it coming. And back when, when that happened, wave pools were kind of not really, you know, they, they, they existed, but it wasn't like you were actively seeking careers in wave pool design. So, and, and what year was this? Uh, it's about 2015. Okay. And so when Aaron, our founder and CEO was looking around for engineers to help him, because of course he's an, a mining engineer, but he can obviously understand that he needs a whole team of people to, with all di different specialities to deliver this. So he was looking around to, to try and find who could who could help him out. And so through his personal contacts, he got in touch with the company that I had happened to be working for at the time. And I happened to be the, the mechanical engineer in the hot seat who had the the luck, the, uh, you know, privilege of, of being put in front of the project at the start. So Okay. And, um, yeah. and that project, when you talk about the early days, that was Aaron's concept with those kind of stone in a pond, I've heard it referenced as fanning all the way out. Did, so Aaron came up with that and it was your job to bring that to, to light or did you both come up with that together? No, no. All the, all the underlying concepts for the 
plunging an object up and down in a lake. That's all Aaron's brainchild. And he had done some early prototyping, some uh, small scale uh, hand or person driven, hand driven uh, equipment. And, you know, sort of a knee deep lake was um, size of sort of a large room was, was kind of his things. And what's really interesting is what he proved at that scale. Yes, we've, we've tried all variety of things, tested the limits in all directions and ended up exactly with what he came up with. So my role was the machine side of things. So he, he'd come up and, you know, refined to an amazingly high level what his product, what his mechanism for creating waves was. And then, then he needed a physical apparatus to do it, an automated physical apparatus. And so that's where I came in was the early conceptual stuff of that. And then so, prototyping. So, so there wasn't any, oh, I wanted to do this and it was something uh, impossible and you had to scramble to, to come up and make it happen. It was all pretty much uh, straight on from uh, um, the beginning no yes and no i mean whilst, whilst i say he you know we ended up with with true to what his original vision was or you know, still is you know the parameters which we worked under um, definitely needed refinement i mean his his early concepts had a completely different shaped central wave device and mm -hmm. completely different range of movement you know we were his early projections had it moving you know very very far up in the air and having to do that and you know and mm -hmm. So through that, not just myself, but um, you know, through the CFD modeling and other other uh, calculations we did, we settled on a, a much more refined way of doing that. And so we we reeled in the parameters and brought it back to being feasible and and possible, but still the same concept that he came up with still stands. You know, the the way of raising and then dropping in, in a lake and the way the waves break, the whole layout, all of that, he he basically nailed it from the very start. So. Okay. Yeah. And I, I noticed that about the, the plunger. I was fortunate enough to surf at uh, the R and D facility this weekend, but when it raises up out of the, out of the water, it's more conical shaped going toward the bottom than uh, I thought. I mean, I'd seen it on video and such, but for some reason I thought it would be a little more uh, buoy shaped on the bottom. So is there a reason it had to be in a conical shape rather than say flat or round? Yeah, absolutely. And once again, his, Aaron's original concepts had it being more of a pointy cone, quite long and thin, and, and you know, before we went through the whole process of refinement. So we'd spent a, a fair bit of time and, and money finessing that, CFD modeling it, physically testing it in, our, in our, our various scale prototypes along the way. So there is a fair bit of IP wrapped up in, in that shape. And I believe that's our, one of our patents is, is centered around that. And so we've actually found that there is a, a major difference with the shape of that and um, how you move it and over what range you move it. So we did a big sensitivity analysis on that and came out with what we believe is, is a highly refined product. There's, there's still an area where we can, we can do some, a lot of interesting things, but we've got a highly refined shape that, does, that makes the ways we want to. So not every, not every or any shape would work. So we've refined it to, the, to that point so far. Okay. And the uh, raising and lowering. Uh, when I was out at the lake, I heard a lot of people talking about stroke height yeah. and uh, velocity for, for dropping it. Can you, can you walk us through that, how that affects the waves? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing to say is, you know, wave height is a funny one because we produce all different waves all at the same time. And depending on what reef they break over, depends how high they stand up or, you know, the slab has no back to it. It's, you know, 
the the beach break, the, which is actually the more accessible wave, actually stands up one of the most because it feels the reef and, and so so wave height is not really a it's a really hard concept to kind of use as a uh, what we're producing. So especially us engineers, we we speak in uh, stroke length of the machine. So that's the uh, length of movement that the uh, machine moves across. So in meters, uh, what we were running the day you surfed it was about a 4.2 meter stroke. So that's how much the machine machine moves, you know, that, and then that creates a swell and then the swell fans out and whichever reef it breaks over and how far it travels before it breaks and all our reefs have different characteristics. Depends on how much that stand, that wave stands up, whether it folds over, whether it you know crumbles and rolls like the beach break does, or you know whether it's a barrel or what have you. So, but the the guiding factor in the, at the start is the stroke length. That's what generates the swell. And then, as you said, we can we have ability to finesse that by the way in which we move it both up, but also how we drop it and, and how we catch it. We can control movement to some degree in both directions. So there's actually a lot of variety we can we can put into it yeah okay it seems like it would just be on one axis so uh to the non-educated like myself it would just seem height is the one factor but you're saying there's there's more to it than that you can make it plunge faster or would you mind explaining that no that's fine so i mean look yes height is is the major most prominent thing you you throw it higher you'll get a bigger wave absolutely but it's about the depth of the plunge is the amount of water that, that is displaced uh, as well. So, so how do you control that, the depth of the plunge? Well, you know, as you said, by throwing it higher, you can expect that it'll come down harder and therefore plunge um, deeper. But no, we also control the weight of it. We have ballast that we can pump in and out so we can make it okay. heavier or okay. lighter. I can also throw it higher or I can throw it higher faster or throw it higher slower, you know, and, and the, the characteristics of the curve that it scribes as it goes up can be can be tweaked you know i can sort of hold it up there momentarily longer i can when i let it drop i can let it free fall purely or i can give it some back pressure and just you know slow it down just minutely and the differences we see are in the thickness of the lip of the wave you know the way that about like um you know we have our our very capable test pilots, guys like um, you know Benny Player, the three-time world body, bodyboard champion, he's fantastic because he sees everything, mm. absolutely, and he can articulate it and tell you exactly the change. So I, I use him as quite often as a gauge to he'll report back on what a certain wave felt like. And, he would, he yeah. was speaking about that. He was saying, "Oh, this is a four point two. He knows it. He knows it in and out. Tell. Yeah. Literally he's, inside and out. Yeah, he's, he's been in that, <laughs> spent more time in that barrel than." <laughs> Probably him and Aki have just had so many barrels there. So, so you know, there is, whilst, yes, we can we can just throw it to a certain height and make make a wave and we get the variety from our multiple breaks, but, you know, we're still only scratching the surface in terms of what we can do. We've got a great product, I believe, and, you know, a great variety, but there's still more to, to do and okay. more that we can do. So Now, and the, the other thing I noticed sitting out waiting for a wave is it's intimidating, this giant <laughs> thing, because you are really close to it. When it raises up out of the water, you know, there's there's part of my mind that's that's like, oh, what if, you know, you could potentially get trapped underneath it. But I know the conical shape prevents that. And then there's the, the <clears throat> deafening noise, the noise from the, the engine picking it up and lowering it. Now, I've, I've heard you talk about the once it's retrofitted at the R&D facility, once you get that 
redone, it will be it will be different. The the motor. Can you talk about the motor? A bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people think that what you're seeing there is our final result. No, no, it's our it's our first stab at getting it getting it done. That is our proof of concept R and D machine. It's just worked so well. We've kept it alive and continue demonstrating. But it, it was made on a very, very strict budget because, you know, at the beginning of this project, it's let's face it, it's a pretty crazy idea to present to people. So, you know, we didn't have the freedom of budget and, um, to you know, to, to and we didn't know exactly what the final result was. So we built a, a as low a budget as possible. We what wherever we could um, make a compromise to save cost, um, we did. And so we didn't paint it. So it's, you know, raw and rusting steel because the lifespan never warranted it. We also put the minimum of noise attenuation. So we only made it quiet enough so that it was health and safety compliant, not, you know, quiet for the amenity that you'd expect from a from a wave park or, or what have you. So and there's all sorts of other compromises along the way that we made. Just to, it's a proof of concept. It really didn't need to last that that long. We've actually kept it going much longer than we ever ever expected. Yeah, that was that was one thing I heard throughout yeah. the the weekend saying it's just proof of concept. Uh, yeah. This will be different. This other thing will be different. So um, I think when the when the public looks at it, when surfers look at it, they think, "Oh, this is the finished concept." Yeah, and it, far from it. Really it's it's our first attempt, not our best attempt. You know, like it, now that we built this full one to one, true full scale machine, that is when we measure absolutely everything and find out what did we make strong enough, what did we make undersized. Mm -hmm. How strong does it absolutely need to be with true real-world measurements? Yeah, and so we've done that across the board on absolutely everything. And so, as and you, you said, and you found that out in the early days with the Conrad, arm absolutely and having to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we've and there's been many things that we've either changed or redesigned. Some of the things we've we've replaced. Some we haven't bothered replaced because you know the the cost of doing it for a prototype machine was not worth it. Some things we've broken, you know, that, that's part of R&D. That's why you build a prototype is you, you can physically test it and, and find out what works and what doesn't. And the, only, the best way to do that is to build a true full-scale, full-size, fully capable machine and then find out, you know, where it works and where it doesn't. So as you said, one of those was, is the sound attenuation. So the commercial machine, we will apply the commercial design for this noise attenuation. And you can also take that as far as you like. I, the analogy I, I use is... A muffler of a car is probably a, a good example. You know, if ever if you've heard a, a car with a hole in its muffler, you know what I'm talking about. Imagine, um, you know, one that doesn't even have a muffler. Imagine how loud that is. And then all the way through a modern um, car, we're, well, we're into electric cars these days, but, you know, a modern petrol-powered car, think how quiet they are. That's just a series of um, mufflers and attenuation, and they're whisper quiet. And so it's it's a known science, and you can just apply whatever level of attenuation you want to achieve the result you want. So different customers will have different requirements. Some will need it to be perfectly quiet because they've got neighbours over the back fence who, you know, others actually like the noise. You know, some people find it, they're like, don't get rid of that. We love it. You know, it's, it's crazy, and everything in between. So, yes, we have our our, our generic design, which we're presenting, that, that achieves a, no a certain noise level, but then licensees can expand or contract that depending on what what meets their needs so okay and so when the uh next version of this is done will the engine be like it is now sitting next to uh the plunger or will you have it located elsewhere so on the site in that, the commercial model i see uh you have a mock-up in uh, your offices here 
and it's uh, I, I don't see an engine to that. Yeah, one. that's that's more of a um, an arch- architectural layout for the site to give people a, a, an idea of the scale. It's not really true to the machine. So now our, our design uh, features that that structure. We we call it the the island or the caisson because the, and the commercial one will have a uh, be fully enclosed in a concrete caisson and obviously much more attractive. Once again. Prototype site, low budget. We hung scaffold around it. We put a steel frame. We just did did what was needed to make it work with zero attention to aesthetics, basically. But the commercial one will be wrapped in a, a nice um, slick case on, and you won't see any of the moving parts. And um, but no, that will remain in that position, and the proximity to the machine is fixed because it's it's got a, a connecting pipe, a large hydraulic system that runs between the two. So they are it's basically. You can think of those two things as one connected machine. So that what's in the lake will obviously be a, a lot more attractive and dressed up and a lot quieter. But then also on shore, we have the plant area with our compressors and air storage. Once again, we, we did the, the, the minimum low budget um, option to, to install that. For the commercial one, it would be housed in a proper plant room. You also have a water treatment plant to keep the water crystal clear. And that can be, um, you know, take whatever form you like and be situated within quite a flexible range uh, of distance. So that's not quite as constrained. Okay. All right. So uh, basically what we're we're seeing at the test facility, the basic layout with the plunger and the machinery will be similar, just dressed up a lot more, much more attractive. That's it. Conceptually identical and functionally identical. And, you know, that's the happy thing I can say is that our proof of concept, we it does absolutely works. Mm-hmm. You know, the result is in the waves. You can see it. Yeah. Now it's just a case. Of so, well. so let let's back up a bit. Tell me about that because you went through the expense and the time to build this thing, and you you know there's some distance between CFD and what actually happens. And I know uh, engineers and wave pool designers are often miffed by that gap. What was your impression when you uh, first rolled off that first set? Well, I was actually showing the video to, to someone the other day that the first set was actually only about two inches, three hours, no, about six inches high. <laughs> we, we really, when you've got a machine that big, you you take it slowly and you, uh-huh. you know, so we actually proved you can, you can produce a wave from six inches upwards, you know, but um, so we really moved slowly. That was actually late at night after, you know, days and days and days, weeks and weeks of commissioning the machine and, getting everything ready but it was yeah it was one when after a few days um, of just slowly taking it up through its paces we actually got the first rideable wave and that was still only you know we rode it as soon as it was we were able you know everyone's like is it big enough yet can we ride it can we ride it you know we're inching it inching it up bigger and bigger and bigger and as soon as it got to the stage someone said oh i reckon we could ride that we jumped down there and got it was so that was getting it going and was there ever yeah yeah, was there ever a point when you were I don't know, frightened, like, what have I built? Here's this beast, uh, let's crank it up. Oh my God, what's gonna happen? Oh, absolutely, over over the years. Uh, and people have asked me, what, what is the greatest challenge? And I, I'd have to say is that side of things was the, the it's not doubt, it's maybe self-doubt, you know, like you do the numbers, you know that it's gonna work, you, you know, if, it didn't, if, you, if you didn't think it was gonna work, you, you wouldn't persist, but, you know, everything said, yes, this is going to work. This is going to, yes, this is going to work. But you're also, you know, people's hopes and dreams and money in this, 
you know, there's a lot of self-doubt. Doubt. Am I good enough to do this? Oh, should somebody else be doing this? I don't that's, know if I can do this. You know, that's like, a lot of pressure. Oh, oh, look, it's, you know, and and not only that, it's, it's I love surfing. and It's yeah, like the opportunity yeah. and you don't let this one slip away. So I've got the self-pressure on myself. Don't stuff this up. This is the best <laughs> thing that's ever happened. <laughs> Make it work. So, you know, it just all just means you you check the calculations a million times. You go, is it going to work? Is it going to work? And then you still hold your breath, even though you're sure. You hold your breath when you're pushing the button. You know, it's so that was that was the hardest part. Like the engineering was difficult at some stages, and some of it was easy, some of it was hard. You know, there's late nights, long, you know, sleepless nights, all of that. But yeah, far and away the hardest thing is just the the doubt and the pressure and the you know all of that yeah and everyone's looking to you to uh, make yeah. sure it works and, yeah not yeah. just me but you feel the pressure you know you feel that portion of your responsibility on your shoulders pretty heavily that's yeah for sure. what was there any point in the journey where you know it was like your darkest hour where you just thought oh my god this is not going the way i thought it would go it's it it, it sounds like it all went pretty much as you expected but th th there still has to be sometime when that doubt as you had mentioned uh kind of surfaces oh um yeah there was yeah there definitely was periods because i mean aaron was was very very good and gave me a a lot of rope really to and, and a lot of freedom almost total freedom was kind of blue sky he he knew what he needed the thing to do but did not you know um, stipulate or prescribe how that was to be achieved it was pretty much just open season designish machine so there was times in that early stage where I didn't have a solution. And I was like, I don't know if I can make this work. I don't know, you know, and then you think about it and think about it. And then, but then it was always followed by, like, I've actually had light bulb moments. It's really cool. You to, know, to, share to share with us one of those uh, light bulb moments. Oh, what happened? Some of them are small, some of them are, are bigger. But, I mean, in the, the design of the, the piston, which is um, one of our, our patents, is, is around that. So I won't go too much into, into the detail of it, but... You know, there was a few hurdles where you just can't buy this stuff off the shelf and existing products are designed for certain industries or certain capabilities. And we found out that we were, you know, and we're still finding out, um, you know, how different we are. And so, you know, you think about it and you think about it, you're like, oh, I can't make this work, can't make this work. But then, and so you're really worried because you've got the sticking point and you can't, you know, you're not going to be able to proceed unless you solve it. But then, you know, you get a bit of a flash or you're, come up with something and it seems to work out and you, and you go through it. That was one of them. Oh, the other one was the pneumatic over hydraulic system because I, I come up with this piston design and it's a, it's a hydraulic, uh, a piston that works on hydraulics rather than pneumatics. But pneumatics, so that compressed air, uh, the way we use it is the, the most ideal thing for this process. So I, I was trying to figure out how to combine the two and then sort of had the the realization that I could do it um, with a hydraulic a pneumatic over hydraulic chamber, and then suddenly that was sort of the last hurdle. And once okay. I got that, we built the prototype at, at that size, and it worked. And and I, I sort of sort of felt like we had, you know, we'd solved the architecture of the machine at that point. So okay. yeah. so so going to having to custom fit and custom build all this all this machinery. Out of the world of wave pools, what is the closest real-world device that would be similar to the the plunger at Surf Lakes, to the machine, the wave maker at Surf Lakes? Is there something somewhere like a I don't know a drilling 
bed, a oh, okay. uh, um, truck lift. <laughs> Is there anything that closely resembles it anywhere in the world that's been uh, created? Not really. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're, we're, I'm actually wondering if I'm wondering if we've got any any world records in there anyway anywhere because you know the size of our hydraulic cylinder mm -hmm. is probably up there. The um, but the speed at which it moves across its stroke and mm -hmm. and the the um, you know the forces are, are present. Yeah, you know, any big hydraulic press and in industry can apply that kind of force. But the the you know intersection of the speed the distance and the force all together in one i reckon there's got to be a got to be a record in there somewhere but haven't haven't so, looked and not claiming anything but i just have this feeling that there probably is it's probably up there but um look you know we we've as the, in the majority we're using existing technologies as you know we we have invented our own things to to meet our own specific needs but most of it is you know pretty standard fabrication standard items a lot of off-the-shelf equipment all that kind of stuff. So all this stuff is used in other industries. We've just got a really interesting way of configuring it together and a, a really unusual purpose. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, um, I, yeah, I was trying to think of an example and uh, maybe press hydraulics to press things flat. Yeah. License plate builders. Uh, Look, it, it's, I mean, the essence of the machine is, a hydraulic system with a pneumatic accumulator. I mean, you can look at uh, look at any any hydraulic system that has to um, perform fast, and you'll have a compressed gas accumulator system because storing uh, energy in, in gases is the way to do it. So, our system basically does very similar thing. It's just using our own proprietary uh, piston design and you know hydraulic system design, and we use clean water from the lake as our hydraulic fluid which is pretty cool you know it's oh, yeah. water hydraulic so there's no contaminants out there it's just pure clean water we actually pump water in from the lake to replenish to top up that system you know so conceptually on a high level when you look at it, it it is does function the same as a standard hydraulic system using compressed gas in our case we're using um, compressed air nice clean air but it's once you actually look at the individual components that they're sort of into you know a little bit different proprietary so. yeah and there was um on site i was speaking with some of the people there and there was the mention of when the site does go commercial there you will need a water filtration system as as part of it absolutely and, yeah so how does that work in is that another giant engine or you just have an area of the lake dedicated to that have you have you researched and yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it's not my core area of um, that I'm working in, but I'm, I'm well across it. So essentially, it's it's a water treatment plant like most facilities. So you draw water from the lake, from the, the upper surface of the lake, because that's where, you know, all things, you know, that come off people, basically, contaminants sit in the top of the lake. So you draw off that surface layer into pipework via pumps, which pump it through filters, and then uh, through... Uh, get they chlorinated and then it's returned to the return to the lake. So it's pretty much much like any aquatic facility. You know, we're we're not a pool. We're a, a completely different category than a pool, but the mechanics of it are essentially the same. So you know, we're using the same kind of equipment as a large aquatic center um, use. Okay. So there's different types of filter we can employ. We have the ones we want to use. Um, we believe are, are the most cost effective and best result for the scale that we're on. But there's heaps of different ones that we can um, 
you know, we can employ. And, and in different regions of the world, there'll be different answers because people have different, um, you know, requirements for their water treatment. They have a different perception of what, what clean water is um, and they have access to different equipment. So, yeah. Okay. And the um, looking into this and the, the big... I, I guess beyond the mechanics, the, the largest challenge is having a wave like the island repeatedly hit the uh, bottom contour. I remember a couple of years ago when you had done the concrete bathymetry and sent out press about that. And we had images of the lake before it was filled. And now on this visit, you see it's like those years of running waves has, has taken its toll. And it, even this weekend, met some uh, other engineers in construction yeah. to do with with concrete. What are some of the challenges of creating a fixed bathymetry that can withstand this type of uh, of pressure? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing to say is it, exactly like the machine. the The original liner we put down was, you know, a, a tiny, thin shell, eggshell scab, just basically to keep it clean to prove our point, which it did, you know, and that didn't last very long at all. And, you know, we've patched it here and there and what have you, but it, you know, it was, we didn't prepare the subgrade to really any degree at all. We basically just sprayed a coating on to try and keep it, you know, keep the shape of the reefs and keep it clean long enough to prove our point as low budget as possible. So obviously we now have measurements from the waves, we have the CFD modeling, to, which give you pressures, flow velocities, friction against the um, against the, the lake floor, all of that, which has allowed us to design the commercial uh, solution. And now it's it's sort of a, it has just different requirements in different parts of the lake. We have deep channels and a very, very deep core that the uh, swells come out of a deep, deep water like the ocean, but then they rear up and they break over shallow reefs. So you have a whole variety of different requirements for that lake floor. So not all of it needs to be the same. Obviously, where a wave like the island slab is breaking, right where that lip lands, you know, you need to make sure that it can accommodate that. So, you know, we have obviously much thicker concrete there and down the line as the wave breaks, but in the deep channels, you don't require that. Uh, the deep channels actually have different, have a very, very strong base to them because that's where your cr cranes drive down mm. when you're constructing. But you know, it's so it's uh, you got to look at it. And what what does that area of the lake need? What is uh, the loads on it? What's its requirement? And then you design to suit that. So. so so each area of the lake will have a different bottom construction according to uh, the type of wave that will be breaking there. Yeah, it it, could, it will differ whether or not it's the same material or just a different thickness of. Because you know, when you've got that large amount of area, you've got to make sure that you. You know, don't go too heavy-handed in places uh, where you don't need to. So you've, you know, got to balance it out and make it make it correct. But you know, the wave breaks in the same place every time, or at least at different strokes, the peak moves in or out. Obviously, smaller waves come yeah. closer to the shore before it's deep enough to break. Could, but essentially, yeah. you know, you know exactly where those waves are going to break. So therefore, you can engineer the regions that need to be strongest. So. Could could you put it into perspective for us, like in terms of tons per square inch or i'm not really sure is it like a truck driving over a bit a uh, piece of road like when you drive down the highway you notice the right lane or i'm sorry here it'd be the left lane where the yeah. trucks go <laughs> is uh is more uh worn out and has cracks in it look our, our civil engineer would be way more across that uh, brady mm -hmm. than i than i would be but um 
No, there's so I, I can't really give you a number on, okay. that, on that one. <laughs> the machine is my baby, so you know that's okay. Uh, that's more what more what I understand. But yeah, absolutely. Um, part of yes, we've got a liner at that prototype lake, which you know is progressively deteriorating. It was never intended to long, last this long. Um, COVID sort of slowed us down for a couple of years as well, so that's kind of dragged the dragged the life of that prototype out by a couple more years. But one of the upsides of of doing that is you can very clearly, visibly see exactly where the areas of highest stress are. It's almost like a, a telltale, you know, oh, it's breaking there. We know where that, you know, and you verify, validate that in, in the 3D modeling, you measure, take measurements, all of that, and that allows you to pinpoint exactly where uh, the highest wear is and, and why it wears that way, because it's, it's not just wave impact, it's actual turbulence and, you know, the shear effect and all, all these things that, Water's interesting stuff. Yeah, it can apply loads that you wouldn't quite expect, um, or at least you know somebody who doesn't doesn't know it. So I'm a mechanical engineer, so a lot of this was new to me. I was like, oh wow, you know, I didn't, didn't know water could actually do that. So yeah. All right, let's wrap this up. Thank you very much for your in-depth explanation. I've I've learned heaps more about surf lakes and how the machine works and uh, your your role in it, Kit. And uh, before we we sign off, what what's your favorite wave at surf lakes? Which one do you like to surf? Oh, it's, it's got to be Oki's Peak. You know, I'm I've been surfing a long time. I'm nothing fancy, but that wave is is you know it's just it's challenging. It's fast. It's a hissing barrel you can get barreled and come out and do a turn but the cool thing is is you can sit there and you can look over at the island i've had a crack at the island at a little lower stroke and i, I made mm -hmm. a couple and then definitely didn't make a few <laughs> make many but it's got that aspirational side to it and you know, i sit there looking at it going oh i'm going to build up to that you know mm -hmm. i'm going to get there and and that's sort of the concept that aaron's original concept is that you know no matter what level of surfer you are you are surfing a break there's one right to the next side that you can aspire to. And, and when you improve and nail the one you're on, you can move around to that. So, yeah, next next stop for me is the island. Got to, <laughs> yeah, conquer that. But we've still got a long, uh, you know, a, a fair way uh, left in the tank in terms of uh, stroke height and wave height. So, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> okay. if I ever get brave enough to surf it at this size, well, we might just turn it up a notch and then I might run off with the tail between my legs again. So. <laughs> That's yeah. good. It keeps you uh, keeps you learning to uh, yeah. to barrel ride and everything like that. So uh, last thing, we're gonna put you on the spot. When and where will we see a surf lakes? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't sign any NDAs, so no, I, I can no, ask no. you that. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's um and this you know this isn't my area of um, but I'll, I'll, I'm as excited as the next person. But so we have several projects which are which are vying for first project being our prototype in, in Yapoon, California project, another Australian project, and oh, it's probably about four and, and another one in the US. And the reason we we don't, we can't pinpoint is because there's about three factors you've got to have in place to, um, to get a project over the line. You've got to have land, you've got to have approvals to build on that land, and you've got to have your capital, you've got to have money. And of course, because um, there are licensees, you know, we we don't know exactly what their uh, their funding situation is. We only the council, the jurisdiction that they're in, know how how long their approvals are going to be. And then you know you may look and look for land, and it takes a while to find the right block of land. So with those uncertainties, you can't quite see who's going to meet those across you know clear those hurdles first. 
So it's uh, it's kind of a watch the space in about a three, maybe four horse horse race at the moment. So okay, yeah, okay. but it's looking good. It's <laughs> you know it's good problem to have as we've got yeah. four of them all all wanting to be first so well yeah like you that, might yeah. be in that position where they all open uh within a few months of each other yeah, and, ho- hopefully uh, yeah. you're, <laughs> you're jetting around the world to uh to try them out well that will be that that's the, that'll be the the best part of my job i think is um commissioning machines and an interesting play i love i love love traveling done a lot of traveling and a lot of surfing waves around the world so imagine going around the world and surfing waves i had to play my part in creating that's that's gonna be cool uh, that's great. Uh, Kit, thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, share your knowledge uh, about Surf Lakes and uh, this, this amazing wave pool. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.